It was um, late spring in 2001. My wife and I and some friends made a journey to an unexpected place. I remember that day like it was yesterday. We got out of our transportation. And we, like many others who had also come to this unexpected place, began walking towards those gates which are now infamous. Here's what I remember about walking up. There was almost no sound. There were lots of people, and yet there was no sound. I remember as we were walking towards the gates, all I could hear was the, the rocks under my feet on that pathway. They were crackling, crunching. And with each step that I took and with each crumble of the rocks, my heart quickened. I was walking to this place. We entered the gates and we went through uh, the turnstile and we did all the things that you would normally do when you're visiting a, a place that's now a, a tourist destination. That seems so odd to say, to put tourist destination in connection with what we're about to experience. But that's what it was, sort of. We were assigned this woman who was probably no more than five foot, two inches tall, dark hair, wearing a sweater. And she had these beads around her neck. And as she began to tour us around this facility, my wife and I quickly noticed that her hands hardly ever left the beads on her neck. She was playing with them, handling them, touching them, moving them. She began to give us the, the tour. And I remember one, at one moment we walked up this, this wooden ramp. It looked like a handicap ramp, but it, it really wasn't. It was just a ramp that had been made. And, and they brought us into this one particular room and we turned. And before us was this case. I don't know if I've ever been as moved in any moment of my life as I was in that moment. As our guide began to give us the description of the case, inside this, this glass case was almost 20,000 pounds of human hair. Mixed in with this hair of different colors was the occasional doll or shoe or braid or decaying piece of comb. Hair was important to the Nazis because they used human hair to make clothing and blankets and fabrics. They used it, I didn't know, until then. They actually used human hair as part of the, the mechanisms for some of the detonating devices for their bombs. It continued... We walked to a place where when we walked in, it became dark 
fairly instantly, and we recognized exactly where we were before she ever told us. It was a chamber. It was a gas chamber. It was the place where many people perished. Statistics tell us that somewhere between 1.1 million and 1.4 million people died in Auschwitz and Birkenau. When you do the math, if that one place, more people perished than all of the American and British soldiers combined in World War II. It was a dark room. But then again, it was a dark place. There was one last scene that I saw that day that stands out in my mind. It was, uh, it was a place where it was a courtyard. The buildings were surrounding the courtyard and, and we were, had been standing at one point in a third floor place, a room, a, a location looking down on the courtyard. And then we got an opportunity to walk down by the courtyard. And in the courtyard was the place where they executed those who would not cooperate if you, if you didn't get the gas chamber and if you had some other kinds of, of infractions that you had committed while your stay at Auschwitz or Birkenau. You sometimes found yourself there in front of a firing squad, like something from the Old West. A few hours there reminded me of something that I've known reminds me of something that I know that you know. It reminded me again that the world is dark and it's evil. And sometimes it's a very, very terrible place. But it's not just then that's terrible. This week I just chose a random day. It happened to be Friday. Picked up a newspaper and I didn't spend much time with it. I just turned to the front page and began to look at and read some of the articles and some of the stories. For example, the headline was Trump team leans on vulnerable Dems. When I see that, it's not a political statement about Trump or Republicans or Democrats, but when I look at that, I, I think about our world, our country even, and how politics, it seems, have, have gone bad. Just next to it, there's an article about crack versus heroin and how, how racism has impacted the way the courts treat those who have been subjected to these horrible kinds of drugs and makes me realize that our, our world is a, is a dark place and I just flip it over just to the bottom half of I mean, just the bottom half of the front page of the paper and they're talking about the Jersey City attacks and and how it's religion gone bad and, and people taking out their their false views on others in the world just a couple more pages over read another story it's about sexual abuse stories remain hidden in relationships that have gone bad. I mean, we, as I flip through 
this paper and I, I, I'd look at, at moment after moment. I just, I see there, there's so much here. They're talking about economics. Is there going to be a, uh, is there going to be a recession? And maybe it's economics that have gone bad. I mean, we, we look at all of this and we see that there's so much in the world that, that seems to have gone bad. Yesterday, a group of us played golf. I didn't win. Evil was afoot. The world has gone bad. <laughs> the world is a dark place. It's an evil place. But Jesus also came into this very same world. In fact, when we, we, when we read about the times in which Jesus lived, that He lived in a day in which the Romans had been oppressing and were oppressing the Israelites, the, the Jews. There were soldiers everywhere there that, as reminders of, of, their, of their religious history that had been taken away from them. They couldn't hardly go to a store, a shop, or walk down the street without some symbol, Greek symbol, being placed on a, on a building or on a sign somewhere in their locations just reminding them of their oppression. And for them, a life that had gone bad and now for them was dark and evil. Even the religion they followed had, had become perverted in many respects, so much more legalistic than, than Jesus or God had ever intended. It was a world that had pretty much gone bad. In fact, there's a text of Scripture. You won't find it on the screens because I'm, I'm going off script here, but it's in John chapter 3, you know, verse 16. You remember that? For God so loved the world. We, re, we remember that verse. Maybe if you, if you really were listening in Sunday school class, you remember verse 17 which says that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Verse 18 you might also remember. says whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. But it's verse 19. It's Jesus' own words about the life in which he lived, but not only the, 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 the narrow world in which he lived, but I think it was his commentary on the entire world, which, which Jesus understood. And this is what it says in verse 19. It says, and this is the judgment, the light. Jesus himself has come into the world. But then he said this. But people love the darkness rather than the light. It is interesting, the other day, my, uh, my, my wife and I were, we were driving down the highway and um, we were talking about the sermon and when, I, when I'm stuck, I always ask my wife, can you help me with my sermon? So we were talking and I, we were beginning to look up some statistics, things that, I had, that I'd kind of known in a distant way, but I, I wanted to revisit them. And did you know, this is true, you probably believe it, but it's, it's true that more crimes are committed in the dark at night. I mean, statistically, it's true. The types of crimes that are committed in the dark are, are worse too. It's interesting, they, um, the, the, some studies that we were reading as we were driving down the highway also showed that, that, that I'm not kidding you, can't make this up. Researchers said that when you wear sunglasses it could in, in, impact your, your, your judgment. 
And some of the studies that they did where people were wearing sunglasses, people who wore sunglasses had a tendency to think that their actions were less noticed. And therefore, in the studies, they cheated in the studies. There was a preacher once who came to a revival that I attended, and he wore sunglasses while he preached. I never trust that dude. Particularly when the offering bucket passed three times. I knew something was wrong. What am I saying? There's something about the dark that makes us think we can hide. That if we do something in, in, in darkness or, or less than light, that somehow it won't be as noticed. We won't be found out. Jesus came into a dark world. He said He did. But let me ask you this question. What's your world like? Is your world dark? Are you experiencing evil? Are you having moments where you're challenged beyond your resources? Are there times when, you, when you're just wondering how you're going to make it, how you're going to get through the day, get through the week? We could talk about the darkness of our world. My wife, I'm, just, I'm kidding you, just a moment ago, she's working with this lady who was a friend of hers. Who was, she'd led a conference, met this lady, and they became friends, and she, she just received a very, a very dark, very dark diagnosis of cancer. Just as we were sitting there taking communion or, or just before, she received a text from her, and the text said this, I'm so scared. That's the world in which we live. We walk out of here, we drive to, we drive to lunch, we're, we're going to see darkness in, the, in a beautiful Sunday day. There's going to be darkness. Because that's the kind of world we live in. And so when we live in this kind of world, one of the questions that, that we often comes to our mind is, is what can be done about it? Is there any remedy? Is there any solution? Is there a plan? But the good news is God had a plan from the very foundations of the earth, and that plan included someone by the name of Jesus. And in fact, our text this morning, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, you know it well. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. God's plan was that when the time was right, it tells us in Galatians, when all the conditions had been perfected, when all the, when all those, the, the, the circumstances were just right, that God was going to send His Son Jesus into the world to give the world hope of light, to give the world hope from their, from their darkness, to, to give the world this, this sense of hope that, that they could live anew, a new kind of life. That's, that's the kind of life that Jesus came to give them. But it had to happen by Jesus physically coming to the world. That was God's plan. Theologically, we call that the incarnation. That's where, that's where Jesus, who was God and, and living with the Father in heaven, became man, a baby, and lived among us. Now, it's interesting when you look at various translations. I, I, I like... I like how some of these various translations put this. The New Living Translation says that Jesus made His home among us. The New Revised Standard Version says that, that Jesus lived among us. The ESV says that Jesus dwelt among us. But the Message Version, I like what it says. 
It says that Jesus moved into our neighborhood. Do, do, do you catch that? That the God of heaven, who is living, we're going to say spatially, it's not correct theologically, but spatially speaking, that He lived out there in heaven, and that He, he came in the form of Jesus, and when He came to the earth, He just, he just moved into our neighborhood. That's such a cool phrase. You know what it means? It means that God became present with us. With us. As we are. Right here and right now. So cool. Back in 1992, my wife and I planted our first church. We did so in Orlando and, and um, we had been working as a church, as a, as a, as a youth pastor. And we got promoted, Nate. Just kidding. We were working as youth pastors and we were going to plant this church. So we, so we bought a house in the area where we were going to plant the church. The address, and you can go Google it if you want, it was 10455 Water Hyacinth Drive, Orlando, Florida. And so the West family moved into the neighborhood. Tim and Cindy and little Brian, about this big, Moved into the neighborhood. Now here's what's interesting. When we moved into the neighborhood, um, we didn't know anybody. But we bought our house and we started doing life. Fast forward, here, here's what happened. Our, our next door neighbors to our left recommitted their life to Christ and became a part of our church. The guy across the street and slightly to the right was a young guy by the name of Ed. He was, uh, he was an aspiring pilot. So cool. I loved Ed. The first time Ed and I talked was, I walked, I saw him out in his yard, so I walked across the street to meet Ed, but he was walking towards me because he was curious. He had somehow found out I was a pastor. Now, when you're a pastor, here's what happens. Every, when you walk in a room, everyone starts saying, that's the pastor, that's the pastor. So everyone knows what you are before you know who they are. It's just, just the way it works. So I walk across the street, he walks up to me, and I, I'll forget this not. He said to me, I hear you're a pastor of a church. Yes, I, I am. And he says, I saw something on TV the other night about churches that handle snakes. Is that your kind of church? I mean, where do you go from there? But Ed and I had this conversation. We developed a friendship, and he was, he was doing private uh, tutoring at the local uh, air base or, or airport to, to build his hours up so he could eventually get to where he could join in with... Uh, with the crew, and now he is, he's, flying, uh, he's flying big planes. I keep looking for him every time I jump on a plane. Is Ed flying, is Ed flying the plane? Because i got a snake for him. Snake's on a plane. We moved into the neighborhood. Around the block, another gal who had always attended a Catholic church all of her life. All of her life. She said that she was a good Catholic girl. Nothing wrong with, with being Catholic, but she just she found that she needed something different. She became a part of our, our congregation. And here's what I'm saying. We moved in that neighborhood and we decided that that neighborhood was ours. In fact, when we, as we were planting our church and the church began to grow and God really blessed us and, and gave us favor in that, we, here's what we did. We decided, I, I don't know if this was arrogance or, or what it was, I just thought it was God's lay, laying this on our heart. Here's what we did. We bought a map of our region. We stuck a pin in that map 
That pen represented our church. I drew a circle to my leaders. We've got all of our leaders in the room that day. I don't know how many there were, 50 or 100 leaders in the room. We drew a circle around this map and we said, brothers and sisters, this is a 15-minute radius from our church. We are going to make sure that every soul within that circle hears Jesus from our church. Every soul. Every soul. So we began, this was, you know, this was years ago, you probably couldn't do this today, but this was years ago when you could, uh, you could probably walk down the street and hand out, you know, go door to door. We were doing everything we could. We were sending direct mail pieces. We were going door to door. And every time we would send it, we would mark it on our map, just like a pizza guy. You know, we, every street, when we covered a street, we would highlight it. And that map, which started out just gray and black, began to be filled with yellow. Because we decided that if Jesus could move into the world and be present with us, then couldn't our church move into our community and be present with our community? It's the power of presence. One day there was, a, there was this lady, I, I, I don't know if I, I hope I've never told you this story, but, but I remember sending, we sent out a direct mail piece. And this one lady had, re, had received the direct mail piece and uh, she told me this story later when she came to church, but but she had put that direct mail piece in her in her drawer in her kitchen. You know, everyone is, every one of us has one of those drawers where you don't know what to do with something. You you put it in that drawer. Well, that's where that piece of paper ended up was in that drawer. She comes to church one day and she meets me and she wants to talk to me. She comes up to me. She says, "Pastor, I got to tell you a story." She says, "I received," and she handed it to me. I received this direct mail piece from you. It was like two or three years ago. She'd kept it for two or three years. She said, I got that direct mail piece and I wanted to come to your church. I liked what it said and I wanted to come. But my husband was sick and couldn't leave and I couldn't make it. She said, my husband just passed away. And I remembered that direct mail piece. And I had to come. It's presence. It's the power of presence. See, Jesus moved into our neighborhood. But there's another version on the screen that says, I think it says TLF, but it's actually the TLV version. You may have not heard of this. It's called the, the True Life, Tree of Life version. This is what it says about John 1.14. It says that, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That, that phrase, dwelt among us, here's what they say. And the Word became flesh and made His tabernacle among us. Now that's interesting. Except you need to understand that, that this version of the Bible was designed by Messianic Jews in order to help Jews understand what the Old Testament was saying in the New Testament. And here was their concept. This is how they translated the presence of Jesus in the world. They said that He tabernacled. I'll make it a verb. He tabernacled among them. Now, when you hear that phrase, this is what you have to hearken back to. In Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, this is what that passage says. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys... Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. 
You see, the tabernacle was this, was this place that the ancient Israelites had built as, a, as a, a place of worship, but it was more than that. It was a place of, 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 for, for God to dwell among them. Did you catch that in the text? That, when, that God would be with them cloud by day, fire by night. That when God put His glory on this place, there was this idea that, that God would inhabit the tabernacle and, and He would be in the middle of their community. They would camp around it and the tabernacle would be there to remind the people of God's presence with them. So when the Tree of Life version, this Messianic version of the New Testament, translates this, for those who are Jewish, it's to remind them that even today God is tabernacling among His people. That God's presence is here among His people. You see, grace is many things. But one of the things grace is, it's grace being present with us. It's Jesus walking with us. It's us being near Him and Him being near to us. So let me ask you just real quickly as we're closing this morning. What does the presence of God feel like? What does the presence of God feel like? If, if we say that God is present among us, what does that look like? What does that, that feel like? How are we to understand this? Let me give you a few examples. One of the ways that, that we feel the presence of God is when we have joy in our hearts, a joy that surpasses all understanding. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced that? I remember one time my, uh, after my wife had, had been first diagnosed. Um, well, the, the diagnosis the second time. And the doctors were telling us that you know, she only has X amount of time to live. I remember one time I was on my motorcycle and I was riding. And it was, uh, it was before the sun was coming up. My favorite time to ride is to get on my bike right before the sun comes up and to be riding as it crests the horizon. That's my favorite time. And I was feeling, I mean, that, that the previous night, uh, I had been up. I had, uh, I had actually, I, I was just, I just couldn't sleep. All this, all this stuff was on top of me. And I remember I, I got online, and one of her friends came on Facebook, and we chatted on Facebook for a bit and gave me a little bit of hope, but I felt all this weight. So I got on the motorcycle, and I was riding. And I remember as I was riding, and the sun was coming up, Somehow, I don't understand it because it's, it passes all understanding. Somehow, joy filled my heart. I don't know if I've ever experienced it like that before. But it was God saying, I'm tabernacling with you. I'm in the middle of your mess. I'm in the middle of your life. Feels like joy. There have been times when Maybe you felt this well as well when you've had this, this just unexplainable assurance that God's presence was with you. When, when you couldn't explain it, but, but it was just like you, you would know that Jesus was, was sitting right there with you. That you're like, like, it's like you could hold a conversation. That's what His presence is like. Have you ever had the moment when when you had to do something tough, but you had this inner conviction 
this sense of truth in your heart that you knew that what you had to do was right, even though what you had to do was tough, and that God was walking with you through it. That's God tabernacling with you. When tabernacle, when, when, when the, the sense that God is with us, it feels like when it feels like it's when, when something is happening to us, and someone, another human, comes and joins us in that moment. They sit beside us. We have some friends who. Again, I, I, I hate to keep using this analogy, but it's been so much part of our life recently. We, had some, we, live in, we live in the Houston area. My wife was at MD Anderson getting some of her first very critical tests. We have some very dear friends of ours. They planted with us in Orlando. They, sent, they had moved to Texas. We later moved to Texas. They were living in the Dallas area. We're living in Houston area. If you know anything, it's from Dallas to Houston. It's about three and a half hours. From where they lived to the hospital was about four and a half hours. We're sitting in the hospital waiting room. And we look up and Bob and Patty walks, they walk in the door. And we do not know how they knew that we were there. We don't. Bob said the Lord had led him. I later found out it was fine friends on his iPhone app. God works in mysterious ways. They didn't call us, they didn't tell us. They said, we saw you on the app and we found you. They walked right in. It felt like it felt like Jesus walked in. You see, that's what it's like. It's, it's, it's God jumping into our world, our dark and evil and difficult world, but God jumps into it, sometimes in the form of His Holy Spirit, sometimes just feeling His presence, sometimes through people like you. Because God uses you. Here's what I want us to hear this morning as we, as we get ready to close out our service. I'll need you to hear this. This is so important. Let me tell you why this is important. It's important because churches in America today are forgetting this. Many churches are losing this. Many believers are losing this truth. And the church is becoming anemic in our culture. And if the church is anemic, the world will only get darker and more evil. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you something. I, I, just, I need you to hear this. Without you standing on the wall, the spiritual wall of faith in our country, without you standing on the wall in our world, without this church being prepared and armed and dangerous to the devil, there is no way that our country is going to get better. It's just not. It's going to get worse. That's why Jesus came into the world, because He knew that if He would walk among us, that light would be present. Light. Because that's what Jesus is. And you are light. Because you're reflecting Jesus. We need to be that kind of church. And unless we make a decision to be that kind of church, unless we make a decision to be that kind of person, this world is lost. Because here's why Jesus came. Let me put it to you as simply as I can. Jesus came to take back what hell has stolen. And hell has stolen much. But God sent, is, He's sending you to do His work. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning as we pray, 
Lord, we know your grace, your mercy, your truth, and your light is, is dwelling among us, your people. Lord, we know that when we open the pages of Scripture, that you give us guidance for, for living out your mission in this world. Father, when we come to this place of worship, you give us the, a renewed vision, a, a renewed heart, God, to have the strength to go into this world and to face the challenges that are there. Lord, help us. Give us the power that we need to be present in our community. As we sing this last song, I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. Go ahead and stand if you would. Do you hear that? Do you hear people standing? When I hear you stand, it, it makes me think of, of the army of the Israelites. They would stand and, you know, they would have their battle gear on and make noises. But as you're standing this morning, I just, I just see and I hear an army of the Lord's people who has the ability to do far more than you ever imagined in this world. And God has given you the strength to go forth and to do it. So this morning as we, as we sing this last song, there's a couple of altars up front. One altar, if you just want to pray by yourself, that's the altar to my left. If you need someone to pray with you and you would like that, it's the altar to the right. On the right side, we're going to be praying for Mala and her husband as they go to India to be light in a world of darkness. I've been to India. I know that place. She needs prayer. But there's also someone in here today. I'm, I'm just telling you. I know it. There's someone in here this morning that you know you're living in a world of darkness right now. You don't know Jesus, but you want to. You've heard about Him. You've heard that He's good. You've heard that He can do things for you, but you've never committed your life to Him. While we're singing this last song, if, if that's you, my friend, I'm inviting you to come forward and, and to pray. We have people who can pray with you and lead you to knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because that's what it's about, knowing Him. If you need to pray, come. Rest of us, let us sing. Oh 
God has been here to you. Um, as you leave today, we invite you to be the power of God's presence in this community and in your neighborhood. Next week, as we begin moving towards Christmas Eve service, next week, uh, we're going to ask the question. I think it's really a, an important question for us to understand our faith is, is what if Jesus had never been born? What if Jesus had never been born? How would things be different? It'll be fun. We invite you to come back next week. God bless you.